0: Chapter 5, Part 1 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Shiniver. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum, Chapter 5. My start as a showman part one By this time it was clear to my mind that my proper position in this busy world was not yet reached I Had displayed the faculty of getting money as well as getting rid of it But the business for which I was destined and I believe made had not yet come to me Or rather, I had not found that I was to cater for that insatiate want of human nature, the love of amusement, that I was to make a sensation on two continents, and that fame and fortune awaited me so soon as I should appear before the public in the character of a showman. These things I had not foreseen. I did not seek the position or the character. The business finally came in my way, I fell into the occupation and far beyond any of my predecessors on this continent. I have succeeded The show business has all phases and grades of dignity from the exhibition of a monkey to the exposition of that highest art in music or the drama which Entrances empires and secures for the gifted artist a worldwide fame which princes well might envy such art is mercantable and so with the whole range of amusements, from the highest to the lowest. The old word trade, as it applies to buying cheap and selling at a profit, is as manifest here as it is in the dealings at a street corner stand or in Steward's store covering a whole square. This is a trading world, and men, women, and children who cannot live on gravity alone Need something to satisfy their gayer lighter moods and ours and He who ministers to this want is in a business established by the author of our nature If he worthily fulfills his mission and amuses without corrupting He need never feel that he has lived in vain Whether I may claim a preeminence of grandeur in my career as a dispenser of entertainment for mankind I may not say I have sometimes been weak enough to think so, but let others judge. And whether I may assume that on the whole I have sought to make amusement harmless, and have succeeded to a very great degree in eliminating from public entertainments certain corruptions, which have made so many theatrical sensations positively shameful, may safely be left, I think, To the thousands upon thousands who have known me and the character of my amusement so long and so well But I shall by no means claim entire faultlessness in my history as a showman I confess that I have not always been strong enough to rise out of the exceptional ways which characterize the art of amusing not more however than any other art of trade When in beginning business under my own name in Bethel in 1831 I advertised that I would sell goods 25% cheaper than any of my neighbors I Was guilty of a trick of trade but so common a trick that very few who saw my promise Were struck with a sense of any particular enormity therein While doubtless a good many who claimed to be specially exemplary thought they were reading one of their own advertisements And in the show business I was never guilty of a greater sin than this against truthfulness and fair dealing The least deserving of all my efforts in the show line was the one which introduced me to the business a scheme in no sense of my own devising One which had been some time before the public and which had so many vouchers for its genuineness That at the time of taking possession of it. I honestly believe it to be genuine Something, too, which, as I have said, I did not seek, but which by accident came in my way and seemed almost to compel my agency. Such was the Joyce Heth exhibition, which first brought me forward as a showman. In the summer of eighteen thirty five, Mr. Coley Bartram of Reading, Connecticut informed me that he had owned an interest in a remarkable negro woman whom he believed to be one hundred and sixty-one years old and whom he also believed to have been the nurse of general washington he then showed me a copy of the following advertisement in the pennsylvania inquirer of july fifteenth, 1835 curiosity the citizens of philadelphia and its vicinity have an opportunity of witnessing at the masonic hall one of the greatest natural curiosities ever witnessed, viz. Joyce Heth, a negress aged one hundred sixty one years, who formerly belonged to the father of General Washington. She has been a member of the Baptist Church one hundred and sixteen years, and can rehearse many hymns and sing them according to former custom. She was born near the old Potomac River in Virginia. And Has for ninety or one hundred years lived in Paris, Kentucky with the bowling family All who have seen this extraordinary woman are satisfied with the truth of the account of her age The evidence of the bowling family which is respectable is strong but the original bill of sale of Augustine Washington in his own handwriting and other evidence which the proprietor has in his possession will satisfy even the most incredulous A lady will attend at the hall during the afternoon and evening for the accommodation of those ladies who may call. Mr. Bartram further stated that he had sold out his interest to his partner, R. W. Lindsay of Jefferson County, Kentucky, who was then exhibiting Joyce Heth in Philadelphia, but was anxious to sell out and go home, the alleged reason being that he had very little tack as a showman. As the New York papers had also contained some account of Joyce Heth, I went on to Philadelphia to see Mr. Lindsay and his exhibition. Joyce Heth was certainly a remarkable curiosity, and she looked as if she might have been far older than her age is advertised. She was apparently in good health and spirits, but from age or disease or both was unable to change her position. She could move one arm at will but her lower limbs could not be straightened her left arm lay across her breast and She could not remove it The fingers of her left hand were drawn down so as nearly to close it and were fixed The nails on that hand were almost four inches long and extended above her wrist The nails on her large toes had grown to the thickness of a quarter of an inch her head was covered with a thick bush of gray hair but she was toothless and totally blind, and her eyes had sunk so deeply in the sockets as to have disappeared altogether. Nevertheless, she was pert and sociable, and would talk as long as people would converse with her. She was quite garrulous about her protege, dear little George, at whose birth she declared she was present. Having been at the time a slave of Elizabeth Atwood a half-sister of Augustine Washington the father of George Washington as A nurse she put the first clothes on the infant and she claimed to have raised him She professed to be a member of the Baptist Church talking much in her way on religious subjects and she sang a variety of ancient hymns in proof of her extraordinary age and pretensions Mr. Lindsay exhibited a bill of sale dated February 5, 1727, from Augustine, Washington, County of Westmoreland, Virginia, to Elizabeth Atwood, a half-sister and neighbor of Mr. Washington, conveying one Negro woman named Joyce Heth, aged 54 years, for and in consideration of the sum of 33 pounds lawful money of Virginia. It was further claimed that, as she had long been a nurse in the Washington family, she was called in at the birth of George and clothed the newborn infant. The evidence seemed authentic, and in answer to the inquiry why so remarkable a discovery had not been made before, a satisfactory explanation was given in the statement that she had been carried from Virginia to Kentucky, had been on the plantation of John S. Bowling so long that no one knew or cared how old she was and only recently the accidental discovery by mr bowling's son of the old bill of sale in the record office in virginia had led to the identification of this negro woman as the nurse of washington everything seemed so straightforward that i was anxious to become proprietor of this novel exhibition which was offered to me at one thousand dollars though the price first demanded was three thousand I had five hundred dollars borrowed five hundred more sold out my interest in the grocery business to my partner and began life as a showman At the outset of my career I saw that everything depended upon getting people to think and talk and become curious and excited over and about the rare spectacle accordingly posters transparencies advertisements newspaper paragraphs all calculated to extort attention were employed regardless of expense. My exhibition rooms in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Albany, and in other large and small cities were continually thronged, and much money was made. In the following February, Joyce Heth died, literally of old age, and her remains received a respectable burial in the town of Bethel. At a post-mortem examination of Joyce Heth by Dr. David L. Rogers in the presence of some medical students It was thought that the absence of ossification Indicated considerably less age than had been assumed for her But the doctors disagreed And this dark subject will probably always continue to be shrouded in mystery I had at last found my true vocation Indeed, soon after I began to exhibit Joyce Heth I had entrusted her to an agent and had entered upon my second step in the show line the next venture whatever it may have been in other respects had the merit of being in every essential unmistakably genuine I engaged from the Albany Museum an Italian who called himself Signor Antonio and who performed certain remarkable feats of balancing stilt walking plate spinning etc he had gone from England to Canada and thence to Albany and had performed in other American cities I made terms with him for one year to exhibit anywhere in the United States at twelve dollars a week and expenses and induced him to change his stage name to Signor Vavala I then wrote a notice of his wonderful qualities and performances printed it in one of the Albany newspapers as news SENT COPIES TO THE THEATRICAL MANAGERS IN NEW YORK AND IN OTHER CITIES AND WENT WITH VIVALA TO THE METROPOLIS MANAGER WILLIAM DENEFORD OF THE FRANKLIN THEATER HAD SEEN SO MANY PERFORMANCES OF THE KIND THAT HE DECLINED TO ENGAGE MY EMINENT ITALIAN ARTIST BUT I PERSUADED HIM TO TRY VIVALA ONE NIGHT FOR NOTHING AND BY THE POTENT AID OF PRINTER'S ink, THE HOUSE WAS CRAMMED i appeared as a supernumerary to assist vivalla in arranging his plates and other properties and to hand him his gun to fire while he was hopping on one stilt ten feet high this was my first appearance on any stage the applause which followed vivalla's feats was tremendous and manager Deneford was so delighted that he engaged him for the remainder of the week at fifty dollars At the close of the performance in response to a call from the house. I made a speech for Vivala Thanking the audience for their appreciation and announcing a repetition of the exhibition every evening during the week Vivala remained a second week at the Franklin theater for which I received $150 I realized the same sum for a week in Boston We then went to Washington to fulfill an engagement, which was far from successful, since my remuneration depended upon the receipts, and it snowed continually during the week. I was a loser to such an extent that I had not funds enough to return to Philadelphia. I pawned my watch and chain for $35, when, fortunately, Manager Wymas arrived on Saturday morning and loaned me the money to redeem my property. As this was my first visit to Washington, I was much interested in visiting the Capitol and other public buildings. I also satisfied my curiosity in seeing Clay Calhoun, Benton, John Quincy Adams, Richard M. Johnson, Polk, and other leading statesmen of the time. I was also greatly gratified in calling upon Annie Royal, author of the Black Book, publisher of a little paper called Paul Pry. And quite a celebrated personage in her day. I had exchanged the Herald of Freedom with her journal, and she strongly sympathized with me and my persecutions. She was delighted to see me, and although she was the most garrulous old woman I ever saw, I passed a very amusing and pleasant time with her. Before leaving her, I manifested my showman propensity by trying to hire her to give a dozen or more lectures on government in the Atlantic cities But I could not engage her at any price Although I am sure the speculation would have been a very profitable one I Never saw this eccentric woman again. She died at a very advanced age October 1 1854 at her residence in Washington I went with Vivala to Philadelphia and opened at the Walnut Street Theatre. Though his performances were very meritorious and were well received, theatricals were dull and houses were slim. It was evident that something must be done to stimulate the public. End of chapter 5, part 1